everything's just stopped. I'm just really surviving by a thread right now. Earlier this month, Figures in Scotland's nightlife industries launched a campaign calling for support and warning of a complete wipeout of Scotland's nighttime economy. They claim a roadmap for reopening is urgently needed and sector-specific funding put in place until they're able to do so safely. And they've warned of a rise in illegal parties and raves if politicians fail to engage. But more than two weeks later, with cases of COVID-19 rising rapidly across Scotland and restrictions now banning gatherings of more than six people from two households, nothing has been forthcoming. Time for nightlife culture is ticking. This is a Business of Ferrets podcast. To find out more and support our work, go to theferret.scot forward slash subscribe. DJ and producer Rebecca Vazmund. Last year was like the most successful year of my career to date and I was um, set to like have a follow-on year from that so it was like really going to be a big year for me it was an important year I'd spent two years making an album with jazz musicians and that was set to come out this year and it was all um, kind of booked in with tours off the back of it this year I was booked to do Glastonbury for the first time at the time of lockdown I was on my first ever like tour like headline tour of France and I had like nine dates and France locked down on the morning of the first gig, which was in Paris. So I was in Paris and I'm like looking at my phone and it's pinging and pinging and pinging. And it's just cancellation after cancellation of all the gigs. I've rented the same flat for like six years through a letting agency and they know what I do. So I'd emailed them to say, I'm gonna get the money for the tour for like a couple of days after the rent's due. So is it okay if I just pay the rent? Uh, when I get, the, I was due to get paid you know, the whole tour fee on the first day of the first gig, which was that day. So immediately I was behind on my rent by this point. And this was even before the UK locked down. So it was quite a uniquely stressful situation at that moment in time. I actually got bailed out because my, my letting agency were threatening to end the tenancy because I couldn't pay my rent. So I got bailed out by a charity called Help Musicians who paid my rent for two months for me until the grant came out and until Universal Credit was able to start because Universal Credit process takes like, well, they were inundated with other people in the same situation. So it took two and a half months to get Universal Credit. So Help Musicians enabled me not to become homeless. My name is Michael Kiln and I'm the Chief Executive for the Nighttime Industries Association. We're already seeing a massive amount of closing. 71% of businesses are going to be looking um, in the next three to four weeks to be getting rid of almost 50% of their workforce. Um, and if you take into account that 1.3 million people work within the nighttime economy sector, 6pm till 6am in the morning, generating 66 billion, you know, that's a huge swathe of, of skilled people that work within our sector. And that doesn't take account of the, you know, million plus support uh, 
businesses, independent operators, sole traders, freelancers, sound technicians, DJs, etc. That also are are going to be compromised here. And you know, I was on a call yesterday talking to people, and that the, these, you know, some of these DJs that you know they they sort of live hand to mouth are really struggling now they're looking for things you know other jobs outside of the industry i think we're going to lose if we're not careful if we don't get action soon this is dave clark manager of legendary glasgow dj duo slam and organizer of electronic music festival riverside i think it's very very difficult for a whole industry though to have no no guidance as to what to do once you know the furlough and the self-employed assistance finishes and a lot of people fell that fell through the cracks anyway come the end of october everybody's cut adrift completely manchester london various parts of england you've already seen these kind of illegal parties kicking off i think the Scottish people seem to have been more restrained, you know, they seem to think they've got a bit of a problem with smaller house parties, but the problem with illegal events is that they don't have security there saying make sure you wear your mask. I mean, in France they started allowing events without social distancing, but people were taking the mask off. They were very close to each other and then you've seen the cases rise in France, you know, so if it's done it's not, if people think it's just back suddenly back to normal and, you know, we're always symptomatic, you know, it obviously wreaks havoc very quickly without anyone realising. It's not just music industry figures that are warning of illegal parties. Police Scotland are too. Last weekend they sent officers to 405 of them. This is DJ and producer Samantha Bag. My name's Sam and uh, I'm from Glasgow originally. Uh, I live in Ibiza, have done for two years and I travel back and forth to UK. I've worked as a DJ and a promoter for many years. The first thing we sort of heard about was a wave of festivals stopping because I mean, personally I had quite a few bookings that I was coming back for and I usually come back to the UK every month or so. Everything obviously stopped here in Ibiza as well, just as the season was about to kick off. If you're a venue over 300 capacity, you couldn't open at all. So that ruled out the likes of Ushuaia, Pasha, you know, all, all the big sort of super clubs couldn't open. Obviously the smaller clubs, um, places that had, you know, classes, pool parties, restaurant licences could operate at a limited um, capacity if they were to use outdoor space and to use an indoor space and again, an even more limited capacity, which meant that some of these businesses could open and could run. And that's where, you know, that's where DJs, if they were getting gigs, got gigs. You know, it's, I mean, we were really happy that we can actually have music because I know in, in Scotland, music seems to be banned, which is like horrendous. Here, we can have music and just not after a certain time at night, but we have to sit in our seats and also uh, you have to pre-book your tables. I'm Kat and I am the club booker for Stereo Cafe Bar and I'm also a DJ and independent promoter as well. I've been furloughed from Stereo um, and I'm continuing to be on furlough uh, for the time being. Um, 
But I've also lost, uh, so I do weekend bar gigs um, and they were, and a lot of gigs elsewhere as well at clubs and they were quite a big source of income and that, that's all completely stopped. So um, it's not ideal. The fact that we can't play music um, is absolute is an absolute killer because uh, we can't we can't even have like we can't even have like toned down events if we're not allowed to play any music. We can't even have like cabaret style things. We can't. Um, it basically completely restricts us. It, it basically shuts off the entertainment aspect of the venue. The UK government has put millions into a rescue fund for the Scottish arts and culture scene and the Scottish Government has launched a lifeline fund for performance venues. But Mike Kill says Nightlife needs a specific fund. Cultural funding is, is a welcome uh, relief or a welcome opportunity, but in terms of it resolving the current situation, it's a drop in the water. Um, there is a, a, a much more dynamic sort of structured financial package which is sector specific that needs to be generated or put together in conjunction with the industry and many other industries that are in the same situation so um, it, it's welcome but it doesn't touch the sides in terms of the amount of businesses and individuals that are compromised by this situation. I've seen many calling for an extension of furlough, I've seen Germany extend their furlough position um, I definitely believe that there needs to be some considerations around staff. Well, I, first and foremost, a DJ, because I bloody can't even tell you with words how much I actually love music. Like, that's why I do it, right? To be honest, like, clubs need to be saved. It's a way for people to, um, like, let loose like let go of all their stresses and just literally be connected to other people with what with some like that one thing that they've got in common which is a love for music and a lot of people who are clubbers because for me I'm a, I, although I'm a DJ I'm I'll always probably go clubbing even when I'm in my 50s now and again it's like a way to just like release um your emotions be together with people and it also the main thing is everyone's equal when you go to club night like no doesn't matter what like what anyone is or what anyone does it doesn't matter because people are just at the club so everyone's just immediately in a good mindset everyone's like talking to each other people are dancing together that don't know each other it's like lifelong friendships marriages everything have like happened in clubs and um it's just like the, the one place where everyone's the same. It's that kind of communication without always having to even speak you know the music and the, the 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 smiling and dancing and holding hands and being part of something you know it's 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 got hippie ideals i mean we we all know there's good and bad sides of everything but uh, you know the good side of rave is is definitely a, a community that maybe even tra transcends modern life and feels almost primitive at times
You're listening to the Business of Ferrets podcast. To find out more and support our work, go to theferret.scot forward slash subscribe. The, the best we've managed to do so far is spend money on creating uh, some live stream events. Um, and it's a difficult thing. And I know some bands with loads of fans are looking at it as a way of, you know, you pay, you buy a ticket. Hot Chip did it last week. You buy a ticket and, it, it, you know, we get to make some money. Or a lot of the time, no one is that comfortable about For some reason, you... you Everyone listens to Spotify, but the artists don't make a living out of it. Without the artists and the recordings, you wouldn't have a Spotify, but maybe it's moving in the right direction. At least people are paying something. I'm Arusa Qureshi, and I'm a writer and editor based in Edinburgh with a um, particular focus in music writing and writing about diversity and inclusivity in the arts. Um, I was the editor of The List until quite recently. Unfortunately, my role was made redundant as a result of COVID. With these live streams, I've kind of been worrying because I noticed that when when I was watching these live streams, um, a lot of musicians were doing them for free because they felt like they had to do something just to keep going. So a lot of them started out free, and so I wonder how musicians will make money if we expect them to be free. For me, um, I was really lucky in the sense that I'd just been offered a weekly radio show for Plyasol Ibiza Radio, which um, actually broadcasts out of the hotels here, but who are also going to be closed, but also has an FM licence and an online license so for me it was a weekly show and it just meant that I could get my head down and still remain focused in a sort of my musical sort of sphere and bubble Um, to have that to to you know to, to keep to keep going I mean all of our shows we weren't able to go into the studio but it was a massive sort of crash course in live streaming and doing all of those things remotely a lot of DJs sort of kind of turned inwards and, and well you know made their bedrooms into or living rooms into sort of broad mini broadcasting studios you know and now obviously the whole of the internet has kind of changed to accommodate and adapt to people's online um, broadcasts. And I think, you know, the two things that have come out of this is that, you know, people can be playing music and DJing from anywhere now. And and it really brought a bit more around a sense of community. You know, I think that, um, you know, online radio, which I've always been a huge fan of, um, but I think online radio has really been able to come into its own and has really, you know, developed and, and you don't even need to be part of a radio station to, to broadcast. And I think those are some of the really positive things that have come out of this. In February, I built community radio station launched in Glasgow. So I'm Andrew from Claybill Radio, and we're just outside the studio where it's very windy, Sunday at the Baddies. Um, 
the bar has just reopened about a month ago now, six weeks, and we, yeah, you know, I think the bar has opened six weeks ago, we opened about a month ago, and we're, yeah, just kind of finding our feet again. Uh, so I, well, over the years, I've been in music, involved in music for about 12 years, uh, ran parties for 10 of them, ran a record label, uh, in that time I've, I DJ as well, and in that time I have lived between Glasgow, London, and Berlin, and I've travelled uh, a lot abroad um, through DJing. So over time, started to visit bigger cities, smaller cities, and they all had a sort of community sort of radio station in Glasgow. It didn't feel like they had one similar to what I wanted to set up. So yeah, I did. There's a lot of people who don't go out clubbing anymore or who DJ but have an interest in music still and it was to try and make them still feel connected with the scene but they don't have to feel like they need to go to a nightclub or, or anything like that as well. So in a way that side of things has been a lot more like emphasised over this which has been, it's been pretty good uh, from that point of view. It's maybe not the ideal scenario but it certainly has helped. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's the last thing everyone knows is the last thing that's going to come back. Like, it's, it's, well, gyms are now open again, but that's clubs is just so far, clubs and venues, gigs are just so far on the, like, the lowest of the, like, on the, the sort of priority list, I suppose. So it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. I think, I think that's just beginning to sink in for people. I think there was a little bit of a, a rush or an urgency to try and get back to something. And I don't think and people are still processing that actually it's, we're, we're, that isn't going to happen. We're heading into something new and this is here to stay, at least for the foreseeable. So there's a lot of, yeah, just general uncertainty. And like, I, I've, I'm generally quite an up upbeat and optimistic person I've definitely felt very challenged by it like, I just don't know how to you wake up in the morning but you don't know where your week is going because you, things are changing all the time and you're just spending time navigating that like you don't kind of feel like you lost a sense of purpose or something and I think spoken to other friends they all kind of feel the same like they one of the things that's happened during lockdown is a lot of, I guess, a lot more political things, social things like Black Lives Matters, and uh, that's it's made a lot of people like question, they're like, why they do these things, why what what is important about music, why yeah, it's looking inwards, um, and that's questioning like structures and stuff like that. So it's been interesting from that point of view. And most accept it will be into next year before anything approaching a pre-COVID event can take place. Some have plans in the pipeline. But as nightlife culture starts to re-emerge, what might that look like? I'm Phil Connor. I run a night called Healthy with my friend Ewan. It's it's uh, We've got a regular night at the Berkeley Suite that we do, and then we put on music nights kind of all over. We even run things like talks, um, and we do, do really nice parties at a place called Civic House where you can come and get your dinner and then there's live acts, maybe some kind of performances and then dance music. We've been thinking of different ways that we could maybe have part of the, the club experience or within socially distanced conditions. So it would have to be when you're allowed at least some form of a crowd. We've run Halloween parties the last few years, which have been my favourite parties that we've done, I think. And so this year, before the new the new kind of guidance came in, we were thinking maybe we could have done something in, in a big warehouse space with not too many people, but where the, where the costumes actually forced you to socially distance. So, you know, you'd have to build a costume that 
that was a, a, a meter in circumference. We've started uh, tentatively putting together our event, Riverside, which is, it's actually 5,000 or less capacity and it's open air. And these are things that give us confidence that maybe we can go ahead safely. Uh, the venue holds 8,000 people, but we, we, we're going to limit the capacity. But even that, we're, we're working hard at it. We've already postponed it once and... It's a lot of expense, time, effort, and it becomes demoralizing at some point. But we, as well as giving our audience something to look forward to, we, we, it gives us something to be industrious with. And actually, by that point in time, you know, you might have a serious problem with illegal events if you don't have legal ones. I mean, we have a lane. It's not the, it's not the prettiest lane, but um, it's there and we could do stuff outside, but it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of red tape around that, a lot of bureaucracy. You need to lower the entry bar for people to be able to hold events. There's already been a relaxation for things like outdoor seating at bars and, and cafes and a kind of slackening of enforcement of penalising outdoor drinking. That's been, that's been noticeable under lockdown. So it's almost like a kind of, it's almost, it's almost Scotland tiptoeing towards continental attitudes to socialising, continental attitudes to, to drinking and, and that, that's positive. But you know that's that's marginal gains, and also who's to say that that's entrenched? That could just be fleeting. But it would be really nice to see a similar relaxation on how you know bases and events, which to me are, are totally preferable, and putting on loud music till late in it, uh, and that would encourage cooperative DIY spaces and events. For me, there is a chance to build back better after this, and part of that is. I'd love to see the end of the kind of the boys club that dominates the music scene. There should be so much more diversity, not just in terms of who's playing, but in terms of who's running and programming spaces. Meanwhile, what of those struggling to make a living? Business owners, promoters, musicians, technicians, bar staff, PRs and more, many on freelance and zero-hours contracts. The introduction of a universal basic income would help to support people like that. Who knows how long it's going to be till, till like the first proper club night happens again. It's going to be, it's going to be kind of strange almost at first. I think that we all miss the live industry so much and it's not worth going off and doing, you know, trying to do your own thing and doing something unsafe and illegal because it will only harm the industry in the long run, really, if we think about it. And I think right now, well, the Scottish music industry and community is really tight knit, and it's always been, you know, amazingly supportive, just from my perspective. And I think that all we can do is really just keep talking about this kind of stuff and making sure that nobody in the industry is left behind, um, whether that's like artists or workers. And you know, if we can do that successfully and keep applying pressure in that area, then you know, hopefully, we can look forward to dancing again together soon. This was the Business of Ferrets podcast. To find out more and support our work, go to theferret.scot forward slash subscribe.